Today on The Girl Defined Show, we are taking a deep dive on the hormonal birth control pill, more widely known simply as the pill. Get ready to have everything you've ever known or assumed about the pill turned upside down. I'm going to kick off this episode by sharing a brief history on the pill, where it came from, you honestly might be shocked, the way the pill has radically changed our mindset toward babies and family, for most of us without even realizing it, and lastly, how the pill is affecting our physical bodies as women. I'm bringing on an expert in this field, Dr. Leah Gordon, who's going to debunk everything you think you know about hormonal birth control. She's passionate about women's health, hormones, and reproduction, and wants to make sure every woman is educated and informed before swallowing the pill blindly. This episode is part two in our series called Rethinking Birth Control, Family Planning, and When to Have Babies. And it's honestly, y'all, probably my favorite episode to date. So buckle up and get ready to rethink everything you ever thought you knew about the pill. Hey, sisterhood, it's Kristen here, and I am so pumped that you're joining me for this much-needed conversation on the topic of hormonal birth control. You guys, this is a conversation that I have been wanting to have with you for so long. It's huge. We need to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it today. But this is actually part two of a two-part series that we're doing here on The Girl Defined Show called Rethinking Birth Control, Family Planning, and When to Have Babies. So if you're just tuning in and you missed part one from last week, my amazing interview with Candace Waters, where she unpacked an incredible biblical understanding of God's heart for marriage, family, children, babies, all that good stuff, if you missed it, then click pause right now and go back and listen to part one, because part one lays the foundation, really, of the most important things that we need to be thinking about as Christian women, and this conversation today is going to build on that. So I would really hate for you to miss part one um, and miss so much of the essential truths that you need to really have the right framework to even have this conversation today about the pill. Why are we talking about the hormonal birth control pill here on The Girl Defined Show? For me, it's really two reasons. Number one, I am genuinely concerned about the health and hormone damage that the pill is causing to millions of women everywhere, and it's something that we need to talk about. Thankfully, a lot of women are talking about it. I feel like there is an awareness that is being raised about this topic specifically, um, hence the reason we're having this conversation today. It's something that is concerning to me. And number two, I'm also concerned about how the ideology and worldview behind the pill is shaping Christian women's beliefs about family and children today. You know, I don't even think we realize um, so much about how the pill has changed our society our culture, our view of family, our view of children, um, this the pill brought in with it so much more than just contraception. Um, and I don't think a lot of us realize that. And so I want to talk about the history of the pill, the, uh, the ideology behind why it was invented, where it came from. Um, it doesn't come from a morally neutral past. It comes from rather a dark history. And so we're going to unpack that and just evaluate our own hearts and motives and really say, you know, am I swallowing the pill and a lot of the ideology behind it without even realizing it? So so those are the two reasons really why I want to have this conversation today. But before I dive in to that, 
I do want to say a quick word on the topic of contraception in general. Part one raised so many questions, and I have heard from more of you, like the Girl Defined Sisterhood, after listening to part one of this conversation than I have on any podcast episode that we've ever done. So it's clearly striking a chord, and so many of you have said, wow, thank you so much. I needed to hear this. I'm just realizing how much more I need to grow in my understanding of God's heart for kids and children and family. But there were also other questions that came up, just questions about contraception in general. And, you know, is there ever a place for contraception in a Christian marriage? And that question is one we're not going to be able to fully unpack right here, but I do want to just kind of touch on it before we dive into talking about the pill specifically. This topic has been a debated topic, I would say, amongst many Christian leaders for a long time now, but the majority of the Christian pastors and leaders who I follow personally that I believe are searching the scriptures and trying to present a true biblical case for this question, um, most of them do not believe that it is automatically unbiblical to use contraception. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link some articles below so you can dig deeper into this topic again because we are not going to be able to take that deep dive right now. But what, what these pastors say over and over again is that the heart motivation is key here in Christian couples making the decision um, you know, when to have children, how many children to have, spacing them, all of those things that families, you know, wrestle with and have questions about. And one pastor said something that I thought was so wise. He said, in scripture, we see God's heart for children. He calls them a blessing, a heritage, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. He calls us to be fruitful and multiply. We see over and over again that God is for children. And so if a married couple desires children, they they automatically can know their desires are in line with God's desires, right? They are desiring something good and beautiful, a gift, a blessing that we see in scripture. So he said, that is a good desire. They can pray about that, but know they are in line with the scriptures. Now, if a couple decides they do not want to have children, it's in those cases or or maybe a certain number of children or spacing or the decision to when to you know stop trying for children. He said it's in those cases that you as a married couple have to be so careful that your motives aren't worldly motives. They're not selfish motives. They're not motives that are based in worldly wisdom, but going before the Lord as a couple in unity, seeking the Lord with these things, growing in your understanding of God's heart for children, and then making sure that that decision is one that you are praying greatly over. Um, And so I thought that was just a great distinction. And I also want to read a quick snippet from an article that you will find linked below in the show notes um, by Albert Muller titled, Can Christians Use Birth Control? And I don't think he's specifically just talking about the pill here, but all different forms of birth control. And I thought what he had to say, just I'm going to pull a snippet from his article, was really helpful in thinking through this question. So he said, the birth control revolution has literally changed the world. Today, couples rarely ponder the fact that the availability of effective contraceptives is a very recent phenomenon in world history. This revolution has set loose a firestorm of sexual promiscuity and much human misery. At the same time, it has also offered thoughtful and careful couples an opportunity to enjoy the joys and fulfillments of the marital act without remaining at all times equally open to pregnancy. Evangelical couples may at times choose to use contraceptives in order to plan their families and enjoy the pleasures of the marital bed. The couple must consider all these issues with care and must be truly open to the gift of children. The moral justification for using contraceptives must be clear in the couple's mind and fully consistent with the couple's Christian commitments. Therefore, 
Christians may make careful and discriminating use of proper technologies, but must never buy into the contraceptive mentality. We can never see children as problems to be avoided, but always as gifts to be welcomed and received. For evangelicals, must work remains to be done, he concludes. We must build and nurture a new tradition of moral theology, drawn from holy scripture and enriched by the theological heritage of the church. Until we do, many evangelical couples will not even know where to begin the process of thinking about birth control in a fully Christian frame. And that's the end of the snippet from his article. Again, I'll link it below. Um, But just really helpful to kind of like, okay, hear that wisdom about contraception, but then also you can just hear the heed of just be careful, be prayerful. Don't make these decisions lightly. Don't make them based on a worldly understanding of family and children. Make sure that your decisions are based in scripture and that you have that biblical understanding. And I think that is the thing that, that we as Christian women need to grow in the most. You know, I'm still growing in this. I'm still understanding, seeking to understand. Um, Even 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when Zach and I first got married until now, I feel like God is helping me understand more and more of his heart for children and for family and growing in my own biblical framework of these things. And in fact, something very interesting happened when, you know, many of you know my journey of infertility, recurrent miscarriage, desiring children, praying for these blessings that we're talking about, and God not opening that door. Well, something very interesting happened, and it was that many people were saying, you know, hey, have you guys considered adoption? Um, You know, adoption is a great path to parenthood, and there's so many kids and all these things. And I remember deep in my heart, wanting biological children, wanting that gift, that blessing, but then feeling terrified and fearful about bringing children into our home through adoption because it felt so unknown to me. There were so many unknown factors, so many potential barriers, hurdles, um, disappointments that could happen, and my heart was ridden with fear. And so for many years before my husband and I actually adopted, I remember dismissing the idea of bringing children into our home through adoption, a beautiful avenue, because my heart was gripped by fear. My decision was not based in faith um, or in a biblical view of adoption. And so here I was saying no to something so good and so beautiful because of the fear in my heart. And it wasn't until I was really faced with this, the head-on reality that I had so much fear gripping my heart. You can read all about this in our book, Not Part of the Plan, by the way. Um, It was when I realized that I had so much fear that I wasn't even able to process the decision of adoption from a biblical lens because I didn't have the framework. And so I remember having this conversation with Zach and saying, babe, you know, what do you think about us just like growing in our understanding of adoption, growing in this biblical framework of God's heart for adoption um, before we try to like make a yes or no decision? And he was like, absolutely, let's do it. And so we read an amazing book called Adopted for Life, which helped us immensely. It was like, it built out my biblical framework for adoption. And then from that framework, my husband and I having that foundation, that biblical foundation, were then able to sincerely pray and go before the Lord about the question of adoption. And ultimately, we were able to make a decision in faith, not fear, because of our biblical framework and our trust in God. And so I know my story is not the same as you know decisions about biological children, but I think there are a lot of parallels because I think I see a lot of young couples getting married instantly saying no to children, to the beautiful gift of children because of the fear in their own hearts, whether it's the fear of finances, the fear of providing, the fear of, you know, not having a big enough home or, you know, the woman's body changing, um, whatever it is. I think many times that same fear could be the driving 
motive for why many young couples are not choosing to have children or delaying it for many, many years. And so I just want to challenge all young couples, all all of you listening, to really examine your heart and ask yourself, are my choices and my husband's choices, are they based in fear? Are they based in just worldly reasons for not having children? Or is it a faithful decision? Are we coming from a biblical framework regarding family and genuinely seeking the Lord in these things with the surrendered heart and making a faithful decision? Okay, with all of that in mind, (laughs) that was supposed to be fast. It was a little bit longer. But with all of that in mind, everything I just shared about contraception and a biblical framework, and then also part one of this entire series or this two-part series Now I want to shift gears and specifically address the topic of hormonal birth control. Because again, it is something that is so widely accepted, um, millions of women everywhere. And, you know, that's not necessarily wrong, but I don't think many of us realize what it's doing to our bodies, one, and also the mindset and the ideology behind the pill, um, birth control, this desire to control um, our fertility in a very controlling way, for lack of a better word, um, and a way that sometimes may not be fully trusting God. So I want to give a quick history of the pill. Oh, and something else, something else interesting. I found a statistic recently that said about 65% of women ages 15 to 49 in the U.S., are currently using some sort of method of contraception. Um, And I'm sure many of those numbers are women who are on the hormonal birth control pill. And so again, so many women are on it. So many women I know and love, godly women. And I know these women aren't saying, oh, I stand behind all the ideology and the worldview behind the pill. Um, It's just what doctors prescribe, right? It's like, hey, you're getting married or before marriage or you have acne, like get on the pill. It'll help you do this, 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 and this. And we just go, Okay, sure, sounds good. And we don't really think about it because why should we, right? Our doctors are saying this is normal, this is good. Um, so yes, I think that so most women who are on it are not on it for um, any sort of specific reason other than their doctor told them to get on it, right? So I get that 100%. But I do think if you've never researched the history of the pill, you are going to find this very, very interesting. So the first rubber condom in 1855 is produced here in the U.S. So the first rubber condom, 1855. A little surprising, like 1800s, what? Little House on the Prairie, condoms? Okay, so then jump to 1873 and Congress passes the Comstocked Act, which criminalizes using the U.S. Postal Service to mail any obscenity, contraceptives, abortifacients, or sex toys, and authorizes the Postal Service to confiscate birth control sold through the mail. Y'all, this is 1873. I didn't know this stuff was happening then. (laughs) Okay, jump to 1914, believing that enforced motherhood is the most complete denial of a woman's right to life and liberty, public health nurse Margaret Sanger coins the term birth control and begins her decades-long campaign to make contraceptives legal and available to women in America. 1916, Margaret Sanger opens the first birth control clinic in the United States in Brownsville, Brooklyn. In 1917, she begins publishing the magazine Birth Control Review to educate the public about contraception. In 1920, Margaret Sanger publicly states that, quote, birth control is nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit and of preventing the birth of defectives. End quote. 
Margaret Sanger, the mother in many ways of eugenics here in America, was on the front lines pushing for birth control back in the 1920s as a way to facilitate the process of weeding out the unfit um, and preventing birth defects. I mean, that is just so sad to think about. And many of you know Margaret Sanger, as you'll see here in a minute, is also the founder of Planned Parenthood. And this is like the precursor to Planned Parenthood, um, this whole birth control movement. So you can already see the ideology behind wanting to control birth and some of the very dark reasons for why that was happening. Um, So 1921, Sanger founds the American Birth Control League, the precursor of Planned Parenthood, at the first American birth control conference in New York City. 1938, diaphragms, also known as womb veils, become a popular method of birth control. 1939 to 1942, several national groups advocating for birth control joined together in 1939 to form the Birth Control Federation of America. In 1942, the organization changes its name to Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Isn't that so interesting? What started out as the Birth Control Federation of America became Planned Parenthood Federation of America, now the hugest um, abortion business company organization in the world. Planned Parenthood started out with this mindset for controlling birth. Okay, 1950, while in her 80s, Singer organizes support for research to create the first birth control pill. 1953, biologists John Rock and Gregory Pincus team up to develop the birth control pill. 1960, the first oral contraceptive, a mix of the hormones progesterone and estrogen, is approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and it quickly become became known simply as the pill. That's 1960. Okay, 1969, medical journalist Barbara Seaman's book, her book called The Doctor's Case Against the Pill, lays out testimony and research showing that the high doses of estrogen in the early pill put women at risk of blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, and cancer. So even shortly after the pill was invented, was created and approved by the FDA, there already are doctors and books and women coming out and saying, you know, I'm not so sure that this is actually healthy for women, the way that this is altering our hormones. So 1970, at well-publicized congressional hearings, feminists challenged the safety of the contraceptive pill. Afterward, hormones in the pill are lowered to a fraction of the original doses. So the hormones were altered and changed to be lower to become lower doses because feminists were challenging the safety of the pill. Isn't that ironic, right? 1972, the Supreme Court in Eisenstadt versus Baird legalizes birth control for unmarried women. So here we see early on this, this push um, by Margaret Sanger and many others to separate sex from marriage and ultimately babies from sex. And that is why it became such a women's rights issue and why it wasn't just for married women, but ultimately got pushed for single women as well, because women viewed equality as being able to have endless sex as a man would without, quote, the consequences of pregnancy. And so here we see that first rip of uh, of babies, like I said, babies and marriage being separated and sex and marriage being separated and God's design just kind of being ripped in half here and widely accepted by society. Okay, 1993, the FDA approves the first female condom. In 2006, the FDA approves over-the-counter sales of the emergency contraception Plan B for people aged 18 and over. And then in 2013, the FDA approves over-the-counter sales of the emergency contraception Plan B for people under the age of 18. So minors 
over-the-counter sales of this emergency contraception. Um, You have unprotected sex and you take this pill hoping that you don't get pregnant, right? And so that, that is just a quick flyover of the history of the birth control pill, where it came from. Like I said, it doesn't have this moral, morally neutral background. It's very dark. It's really rooted in eugenics, rooted in women's equality of wanting to have unprotected sex, limitless sex without any sort of repercussions, rooted in this, this ideology that women should be able to separate sex from marriage, separate babies from marriage, um, and and really just a complete ripping away from God's original design and intention for sex, marriage, and family. And so that's why I wanted to share that, because I think it's important that, that we as Christian women are educated, that we understand where things are, where they have come from in our culture, so that we can be informed and really use that knowledge, that information to go have I bought into any sort of ideology or thinking um, that comes along with the pill without even realizing it? It is so widely accepted, so universally used today that I don't think we often think of some of the potential mindsets that could be coming along with it. Candace Waters pointed out last week in part one, even the name itself, birth control, really really lends itself to this shifting mindset in culture from children are a blessing, a gift, they're a foundational part of life and society, to now children are something we will control on our timing and in our perfectly planned life. And maybe for some, many young couples even today are viewing it as a take it or leave leave it option, not even something that's very appealing because of the many sacrifices that have to be made in motherhood and in family. And so Candace last week on part one was just raising the red flag, just saying, hey, let's make sure as Christians that we aren't taking on birth control and also taking on a mindset of control where we as believers are no longer seeking the Lord in this. We're no longer surrendered in our hearts, in our families, saying, Lord, what would you have for my family? Um, And rather buying into the worldly mindset of, I'm going to do things on my timing, my plan, exactly how I want it, when I want it, and the Lord's not even a thought. A biblical framework isn't even what we're viewing um, our decisions through. And so, Again, if you have not listened to part one, please go back and listen to part one, episode one of this two-part series with Candace Waters so you can get more of that biblical foundation. Okay, and something else that I found really interesting when I was doing research for this episode is some statistics I found about the average family size about 50 years ago and then how it's changed and what it is today. So 50 years ago, the average woman had five children. That's a little mind-blowing, right? Like what? Five children today would be considered a massively huge family. And today, the average woman is having less than two. So the national average now is less than two. Very interesting. Now, I'm not saying that it is automatically godly to have five children or more, that it's automatically a more godly choice to have a humongous family. I think, again, going back to our conversation about contraception and is it biblical? Is there ever a place? I think that is where that comes into play, a couple couple genuinely going before the Lord regarding their family size and year by year having that heart of surrender from a biblical framework regarding God's heart for children and seeking Him on that. Um, But I just find that interesting just in our society, how our, I think our, what we value has shifted in a lot of ways to where now less than two children is what's considered really the ideal. Um, something else very interesting, it's not because we now have a lack of home space or even finances to have bigger families. Get this, in the 1950s, 
the average new home was only 983 square feet in size. Y'all, that's like a medium-sized apartment. That was the average new home in the 1950s, back when people were having five children. Today, the average size home is now 2,467 square feet. The average size home today is double what the average size home was back in the 1950s, and yet today, our family sizes are less than half. Again, I think that speaks to this shift in our mindset, in our culture, as women, as couples, as families, um, it really shows in many ways, I think, where our values have changed and what we now prioritize, um, what we now pursue, what we now chase after, what we now view as successful, um, as foundational, as a flourishing life versus maybe what we did 50 years ago. So just some interesting things to, to think about. In many ways, I think we have, as modern Christians, adopted a lot of the world's ideology and thinking about family and kids without even realizing it. I think more often than not, we are making our decisions about family, many of us from a worldly perspective, taking in the world's advice rather than from biblical wisdom. And so that is why these conversations are so important um, because we all need to be growing in that biblical framework, understanding God's heart. And I will say, if you have not read our book, Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity, it's not specifically about the topic of family planning or birth control, but it is all about God's design for us as women, his unique, beautiful, complementarian design. And if you're struggling to even understand what it means to be a biblical woman, what it means to be a woman defined by God, not defined by your feelings or by culture or what how you grew up, your past, but a woman truly defined by God, then I encourage you, grab a copy of Girl Defined and read it. You will be so encouraged. I think that could be a great next step in this journey that you're on of growing in your understanding of defining every part of your life according to God's word. And then again, go back and listen to part one (laughs) of this two-part series if you haven't heard it. Okay, now we are shifting to part two in this conversation where we are specifically going to talk about the hormonal birth control pill and the negative health effects that it is having on millions of women everywhere. Dr. Leah Gordon is my guest today, and she is passionate about helping women understand our bodies, our hormones, our reproductive health, and how damaging the pill can be to us. She is going to bring some amazing, mind-blowing statistics, facts, um, just from a doctor's perspective about our bodies. And I think you're going to walk away going, whoa, I just learned so much. And God is amazing in how he designed the woman's bodies. I know I was feeling that so many times in our conversation. Um, She talks about how poor hormonal health affects so much of our lives as women without us even realizing it. Our sex drive, our emotions, mood swings, our energy, our passion for life, our period pain, our fertility, our infertility, so many things are impacted by the health of our hormones as women. And Dr. Gordon is the doctor expert here. She knows way, way, way more than I would ever know on this topic. Um, I know you're going to find her knowledge and wisdom so eye-opening and honestly, possibly life-changing. I was blown away by so many portions of our conversation. So our focus today in this part two, now from here on out, our focus is primarily going to be on the health of our bodies. Um, So again, please listen to part one to get more of that biblical foundation. Um, Dr. Gordon isn't necessarily coming from a biblical biblical worldview, which you'll catch here and there, but she is an expert on women's physical health, which is why I'm so thankful to have her on as my guest today. 
Please share this episode and last week's with every sister, friend, cousin, coworker, small group lady, Bible study lady, um, everyone, your neighbors, share it because this is a conversation that is so needed for us to have as Christian women, part one and part two on rethinking birth control, family planning, and when to have babies. So if you find this conversation helpful, think of that friend, that woman, that sister that you can share this with um, so we can all continue growing in this together. And if you're thankful for this conversation, for the fact that we're addressing this, would you please quickly, even right now, give us a five-star rating on either Spotify or Apple? It's no surprise that we get a lot of pushback here at Girl Defined. And sadly, we get a lot of internet trolls who trash our reviews on purpose. Like just recently, a bunch came over, trashed our reviews. They don't even listen to the show. It's kind of discouraging. So if you stand with us and you stand with this podcast wanting to bring biblical truth in this modern day and age to women which I know many of you do, and you haven't taken the time to leave a quick review, would you do that for us? Even right now as you're listening, it encourages us so much. We read every review and it helps other women just like you find this podcast. Okay, are you ready for a deep dive on the birth control pill and all things female hormones? I know I am. So let's dive in. I am so excited to introduce to you guys my guest, Dr. Leah Gordon, and she is both a functional medicine and naturopathic doctor that specializes in fertility and women's hormones and has helped countless women throughout their reproductive years. She's also the founder of womanhoodwellness.com and recently launched a course called Breaking Up with Birth Control. So stick around. This is going to be a fast-paced topic conversation where we are going to dive into all things birth control with our expert doctor here because... I'm not an expert. I know very little, but I know enough to know that this conversation needs to happen. So Dr. Leah, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this with you today. Yes. Okay. So tell us really fast though. I know you just launched your course, Breaking Up With Birth Mm -hmm. Control. The name alone is very provocative. Give us like (laughs) a quick flyover, like what that is, what it entails and why you created it. Yeah. So basically, you know, when women are on birth control and primarily when I talk about birth control, I'm talking about hormonal options, Mm -hmm. even though there's lots of forms of, of birth control. And and some people think of birth control as just purely contraception, but birth control and the hormonal model is often also used in the conventional medical space to help with hormonal imbalances. And so birth control isn't only ever just used for contraception. And so with my course, Breaking with Birth Control, it's for anyone who's been on birth control and maybe wants to start having a baby. So maybe they really have to get off the contraceptive piece or they were put on birth control for a hormonal imbalance and they really want to just have their normal natural cycles back. Or maybe they're experiencing side effects from birth control and they just feel icky. They don't feel like themselves. They don't want to do it or they don't want to take a drug anymore. You know, I think a lot of women forget that birth control, if you're taking the pill or any other shot injection ring, it's a pharmaceutical that you have in your system every single day. And so some people are kind of over that. And so if a woman is ready to kind of break up with birth control, I help guide them through what to do either before is my ideal place to catch women, or if you've already broken up with birth control, how to heal from the split is what I call it. And all of the different body, you know, the lifestyle pieces, the dietary pieces, natural medicine pieces to bring your body back into balance so that when you stop birth control, you're in the most optimal state possible. So you don't have issues post birth control and just to help replenish and, you know, heal all of the different pieces that birth control has depleted. And it's a 12 week program. So it's pretty extensive. It's really what you would get with me if you worked with me for like the first six months of being in my practice, all kind of put in like a, a fast track 
you know, really supportive mm-hmm. program. It's amazing. Wow. That sounds incredible. And I'm sure like, even as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe there's that much that can go into a course to help us understand how to break up with birth control and the hormones and everything else. Because I think for so many of us as women, we've just bought into the lie that hormonal birth control isn't really a medicine. It's just kind of like this thing we take that everyone takes and it's not a big deal. (laughs) And so the fact that you have an entire course to help us understand (laughs) speaks to the fact that it is a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually really interesting in my intakes with patients. I ask, you know, what medications are you on? And most people forget to put that they're on birth control Mm. because the pharmaceutical industry is so sneaky in how they've kind of marketed it in the sense and our culture, you know, also talks about this and that it's kind of something women just think that they do. It's so socially acceptable and you forget, they even name it cute names. Like I think one of the emergency contraceptions is named Ella. I mean, like mm-hmm. no one thinks of their medication when it's so cute and it's pink and it's, you know, it just doesn't feel the same, but it is a pharmaceutical, you know, it's a drug that women take every day. And so um, it is a cultural shift that has to happen for a lot of women. Yeah. So when did you become so passionate about this personally? Oh gosh. So I, when I was 18, I met my husband. My first sexual experience was actually not my choice. Mm. And I always wanted to wait for marriage and, and all of that. And so my whole world was kind of rocked. And, um, I met my husband not long after and, you know, we became sexually active together and I was like, okay, I guess I have to go on birth control because I don't want to get pregnant. But I didn't know about tracking my cycle. I didn't know that there was any other option. No one said anything to me. And so just like every other woman in college, I went on the pill mm-hmm. and it completely destroyed my life. I was so depressed. I was so anxious and flat and my affect was just, I felt no joy. You know, I just felt like mm-hmm. who I was shell of myself. And the biggest impact that I had from birth control was low libido and painful sex. And that's impacted, that impacted me and my, my husband for, for so long until I started realizing like, I wonder if the birth control pill is mm. contributing to these issues, you know, because yeah. I was in a transition in my life. I was newly in college. And so I just kind of chucked it up to like changes in my life, which a lot of my patients have the same experience. They're like, Oh, this is just being in my twenties and this is just life. And they don't realize that it's the birth control that is contributing to their anxiety or their depression or their gut issues or their, you know, libido issues. And so, um, I was on the pill for a while, uh, about four or five years until I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, you know, getting wow. off of birth control was one of the best decisions I ever made. I just wish I had made it sooner. And I wish that I'd had someone like me at that time to, to help me through that transition. So that's when I started becoming passionate about it. And then seeing so many people in practice who are kind of put through this unfortunate system where they have a hormonal issue, like acne, painful periods, whatever, or, you know, it is a contraceptive option. I get that. And there are, there are others, but women are just not supported. And it's so sad for me to see women go through this. They're put on the pill and then, you know, later they want to have a baby or they want to have their hormones balanced naturally. And they've kind of been fed this lie and this imbalance has happened in their body Mm -hmm. for so long that it it just, it's so sad to watch it. it. It breaks my heart. So when you were going through med school, did you already have what you're sharing right now, like this perspective, or were you still on the pill and not really thinking it was much of a problem yet? So I stopped the birth control pill probably right before I started naturopathic medical school and switched to the copper IUD. Um, 
I didn't understand the negative impact. So in retrospect, when I was in school, I started learning like, oh my gosh, that is probably why I was feeling so horrible. You know, when I first learned about the hormonal shifts and changes that the birth control pill can make on libido, in one in particular, it, it causes an increase in this protein called sex hormone binding globulin in your liver. And it binds up all your testosterone, which is a hormone that you need to have a sex drive. And I ran labs on myself because when I learned that in school, I was like, what? Yeah. Like, is this happening to me? And sure enough, I ran my labs and my sex hormone binding globulin was so high. My testosterone was so low. I looked like a postmenopausal woman. And I mm-hmm. knew for a fact that like, I wasn't born that way. Like I had a thriving sex drive as a teenager before I went on birth control. I had none of these issues. They all started wow. when I started the pill. And when I stopped, mine didn't resolve. And since then they've gotten better since I've been pregnant and had a baby, but that it needed a pregnancy to reset my hormones. For some women, when they stop the pill, things go back into balance, but for some yeah. women it doesn't. So yeah, so, if I would have known that I would have never started. Birth yeah, control. yeah. Were you ever like during medical school and afterwards, I know you don't sh- like a lot of doctors don't share this perspective. Were you taught in medical school about the negative effects of the hormones in the birth control pill on a woman's body or not so much? So in, so I am a naturopathic doctor. So my medical training was a little bit more holistic. Okay. We don't have classes where they're like the birth control pill is evil. You know, it's not (laughs) like that, but we learn everything from a balanced and holistic perspective. So, you know, as we're learning about the body, let's say it's hormonal imbalance, you know, we don't believe in functional and naturopathic medicine that a woman is deficient in synthetic hormones and Mm -hmm. that's her problem. And that's what she needs to fix her problem. We believe that there's some other underlying imbalance that's contributing to something like painful periods or acne or PCOS. And our goal is to investigate and find out what that is and rebalance the body from a natural perspective. So we're not taught and we don't look at the body of, oh, look at these pills. They are saving the day. They're solving Mm -hmm. hormonal problems. And in a conventional medical model, when you go to a normal doctor, you know, whether their training is taught that or not, it's just a paradigm that they seem to have that they really do Mm -hmm. feel like the birth control pill is the solution to period problems. It is the thing that they give women who have all of these hormonal issues, whether it's PMS, acne, PCOS, irregular cycles, heavy periods, light periods, the pill is the, the solution. And we just don't think of it that way. And so when you see pharmaceuticals for what they are, they're a tool And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I prescribe birth control, like for some of my severe endo patients, it's necessary because they're going to commit suicide if they don't get their pain under control. You know, like there's a time and a place for pharmaceuticals, Mm -hmm. 100%. But when you see them for what they are, you see them for like, okay, this is a synthetic hormone and it has effects on the body, just like every other pharmaceutical. And we need to like acknowledge that and give it the respect that it deserves. And it's sad to me that most conventional doctors don't support women. You know, every woman who gets a prescription for birth control should also be given a prescription for a really high quality multivitamin and Mm. be given a handout of here are all the foods that you should be eating to help you, or even just given options to begin with. Like your painful periods are probably from inflammation. Let's solve this problem. Let's figure out where it's coming from. And that root cause analysis is just not being done. And it's such a shame. So yeah, it's not like we have a course where it's like, this is the evilness of the pill, but, (laughs) but we, you know, it's the same thing with any pharmaceutical, like PPIs, which are given to people with acid reflux, you know, like we recognize because we don't see them as this Holy grail cure all thing. 
We see them as a tool. We, we don't glorify them and put them on a pedestal. We see them for what they are. And when you do that, you see that a lot of them have side effects and that there is a better way to do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have kind of an interesting, different background in that I've never actually been on the pill. Um, nice. now that I've, I'm learning more about it, I'm so thankful. Um, but my husband and I have been married for 11 years and we were open to having kids pretty early on. And so we were just going to let, you know, let whatever happened, happened kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we weren't really preventing, but we weren't actually trying. We were just kind of like, whatever happens, happens. And little did I know that getting pregnant would be extremely hard for me that I would go now over a decade of struggling with recurrent miscarriage, unexplained infertility, um, working with a ton of different doctors and, only I can like until more recently when I started working with very specific, more naturally minded doctors, um, getting to the root cause wasn't something that was even looked at early on. And now that oh, I'm yeah. learning more about my body and my hormones, like I realize what a huge deal they are and I that know. getting to the root problem, which for me, I still don't know if I'm there, but still <laughs> on this journey trying to figure out what is the underlying issue. Like I don't want band-aids. I don't just want something put on top to force my body to do something like what is the problem and still trying yeah. to get to there. So that's what you're saying. Like the root solving the problems from the ground up, from the root cause up will fix a lot of the symptoms because once the root issues are fixed, then the symptoms will resolve, right? Yes, exactly. So the thing I always say is symptoms are the language of your body and your body's super intelligent and it's not something to be shut up and medicated away. We need to ask the questions. What are you trying to tell me body? You know, you have mm -hmm. painful periods. What are you saying? Oh, you have inflammation. What foods am I feeding you? You know, do we have an imbalance in our gut microbiome? Are you deficient in certain nutrients? Like your body's screaming for help. It's asking for help. Infertility is the same because when a body is, is healthy and balanced, it's fertile. And so if it's not, there's something there. Mm -hmm. There's something blocking it, whether it's you or your partner, it can be both. But there's something blocking it. And we have to ask the questions, what do you need from me? Like, what am I not giving you? Where is there a blockage? And when you can ask those questions, then you can go deeper and find the solution. And once you've solved that problem, the symptoms go away because they're no longer you know, screaming for your help. And when you use something like birth control to just cover up symptoms you're not only not helping your body, even though it, it seems like you are, it's the, the analogy that I use is you have a burning building and there's a fire alarm going off and fire alarms are very annoying. If you've ever been in a fire and you just yes. kind of make it shut up. <laughs> a lot of fire, like, but I've, I've heard the fire alarm. Yes, yeah. sure. Like you're cooking yes. cookies and the fire alarm goes off and you're like, make mm -hmm. it stop. And it's so yes. easy to just take the batteries out and like, Oh, thank God. I've stopped the fire alarm. The problem is resolved. And it's like, but the fire is still burning. And the thing, the connection between birth control and fertility mm. is a lot of times women are put on the pill for a problem in their teenage or early twenties years, whether it is like any other, any sign of, of an imbalance, you know, PMS, acne, painful periods, irregular cycles, any issues with your period, they're put on the pill. The problem is not resolved. So the fire is still burning. And then they're on it for a decade and then they're like, I'm ready to have kids. So they stop the pill. Mm -hmm. It's just like plugging the fire alarm back into a raging fire. The fire's still been burning. And the same imbalances that cause those symptoms early on in their life are going to be contributing to infertility because the body's not balanced mm -hmm. and the body doesn't want to be fertile if it's not balanced. And so then they get off the pill and they're like, why can I not get pregnant? And it's really sad because if a woman had known to address these issues early on, she might not have that issue mm -hmm. when she went to conceive. And that's the biggest full circle thing that I see because I do a lot with fertility as well in my practice. And, you know, I just wish I could shake our whole, you know, world and be like, we have to do things different. We are just 
not serving women yes. well at all. Yes. And we're not serving ourselves well because we, we aren't really educated to understand a lot of these things. And, you know, we're told we need to trust our doctor 100%. Whatever they say goes, don't question, just, just accept they're the smart ones. And so they're telling you, yes, get on the hormonal birth control pill for whatever reason, whether it's acne or contraceptive, um, contraception, then we just accept it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I got married, I feel like there was so much now looking back that I didn't understand about my body as a woman. Like what I know now, having walked through these years of infertility, that has put me on a track of like wanting to learn and grow and try to get to the root. So I'm like doing my own research like crazy, listening to tons of podcasts, just trying to get educated. And there's so much more now I understand that I never did 10 years ago. And I feel like that is true for so many women. They just aren't educated. So why aren't we being educated about our bodies? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I literally bring this up all the time. I think that back into my school time and the amount of effort I put into like a literature class, reading really weird books that didn't matter, you know, calculus, (laughs) you know, I became a doctor. I didn't need calculus. Like if I was going to be an engineer, but like we should have had an entire year long course on understanding our hormones and our bodies and how to take care of them. I mean, it just blows my Mm. mind that it's not there. It's like the doctors aren't teaching us. We don't learn it in school. So where are we going to get it? And the doctors themselves often don't even know. So even if you got one pinned down and was like, tell me everything, you know, you know, a lot of them (laughs) don't either. It's like, where are we going to get this information? It it blows my mind. So something has to change and shift. And hopefully with podcasts and social media and all of this, people are waking up and and finding these resources, Mm -hmm. but it is a shame that it wasn't there and it still isn't for many women. Yeah. And you're right. I am seeing more and more resources. Like women are, our eyes are being opened to mm-hmm. our own health and our bodies and how they function and our cycles. And we're not just, yeah, yeah we're not, we're not as gullible as we used to be. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Can you break down for us though? Like just the basic question, what is the hormonal birth control pill? Like yeah. help us understand what it is and what is doing to our bodies every month. Yeah. So when I say hormonal birth control, the most common one that people know of is the pill. And what it is, is the the most traditional one is a combo pill. It has two different synthetic hormones. The first is a synthetic estrogen called ethanol estradiol. And the second is a synthetic progesterone called progestin. And we make naturally estrogen and progesterone. When we ovulate, we make progesterone. When we take birth control, the birth control pill, those two synthetic hormones They basically give a message to our brain saying, hey, you don't need to secrete any hormones to tell our body to to mature a follicle. We're good. We've got this. And so typically in a normal cycle, your brain is sending out hormones, FSH and LH. Mm -hmm. They, They send out FSH to tell your ovaries to mature some follicles, one of which will become dominant. And that's what you will ovulate, which has the egg that could potentially be your future baby if it comes in contact with sperm. And so there's this upsurge in estrogen, FSH is pumping out, telling your your body to make follicles, estrogen is going, and then eventually it gets to a level where LH is kicked out, and then you ovulate. Once you ovulate, your body makes progesterone. When you're taking the birth control pill, those two hormones basically are giving feedback to the brain saying, you can go on break, we don't need you, Mm. we've got this. And so your body is not actually secreting any of those hormones, and so ovulation doesn't happen. So So ovulation never happens when you're on the pill. Correct. Correct. Oh, wow. As long as you're taking it correctly. Okay. <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. if you don't take it correctly, potentially, but then you could accidentally get pregnant. So the whole goal mm-hmm. is, yes, that it suppresses ovulation. There is some effect as well from that progestin that changes the cervical mucus in your vagina and uterus that impacts sperm's ability to get through. And it also thins the uterine lining. 
but the majority of the combo pill works on stopping ovulation. So this is good for pregnancy, but the whole upsurge of these hormones and the different changes that happen throughout our cycle are often what make women feel good. They're what make us have a sex drive. They're what make us feel alive and excited and happy. The progesterone that we naturally make helps us with sleep and anxiety and helps us with our breasts and all of these different things that we miss out on when we're taking a hormonal birth Mm -hmm. control pill that stops us ovulating. And then there are progestin-only birth controls as well. So in the birth control space, there's the pill and then the ring and the patch are also combo of those two hormones. And then some people take progestin-only birth controls. So that's like the mini pill or the shot, the depo shot or the implant. These don't contain estrogen. They just contain that progestin. And so Mm. for most women, they also can stop ovulation, but they work more on thinning the uterine lining and affecting the cervical mucus so sperm can't get through. So they work a little differently, but they still, for some women, block ovulation. And there's a side effect profile from every progestin. So those hormones, the the Mm. synthetic estrogen and the progestin, they're not exactly like our hormones and they can cause a whole host of different issues. And the different type of progestin is what makes different symptoms. So some women might be on a birth control pill and it helps with their acne. If the same woman is put on that, it'll block their libido because what it's doing is lowering testosterone. Wow. Testosterone causes acne, but testosterone is also what you need to have a sex drive. So Mm. this is why people will go to their doctor and try different pills and try different brands. They're changing the types of progestin because they all do different things. Wow. That is so interesting. So what, what would be an alternative if a young woman comes in and says, I have horrible acne and the doctor says, okay, here's your, here's the pill for you. What would you say to that same girl who walked into your office? Yeah. So again, my approach is all looking at the root cause mm-hmm. and it takes a little bit more time than 15 yeah. minutes. So this is, there are a lot of breakdowns in our system that make it really challenging. Obviously, if a woman has acne, she's desperate for help. It's really quick and easy to say, Oh, here's a prescription for birth mm-hmm. control. It will help her acne. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. And you know, again, sometimes women absolutely need it. Like, especially when their mental, emotional health is just like so severe, there's a time and a place. Mm-hmm. But if someone came to me, I would say, let's find the root cause of your acne. Acne is typically rooted in inflammation and inflammation can come from the foods that we're eating, but bugs in our gut, different bacteria. Let's say you had food poisoning. Like I had food poisoning at Kidoba once. <laughs> I did a stool oh. test on myself after and I like knew that it was Qdoba's like Chipotle for anyone who doesn't know it's a Colorado <laughs> brand, but, um, so food poisoning or yeast or parasites or anything in your gut, mm. um, basically certain toxins and things that you're exposed to, these can all cause inflammation. So I would do stool tests. I would understand what's going on with the microbiome. I would look at her diet and then I would bring in anti-inflammatory nutrients, things like fish oil and turmeric Mm. and magnesium and things that help to reduce inflammation. Um, And so acne is also can be rooted in like food intolerance or liver issues. So sometimes people eat dairy and the dairy itself can cause Mm -hmm. inflammation that leads to acne. So it's different for every person, but we, I would support them and then potentially put them on herbs that help to lower testosterone. If their testosterone is really high, that is like a symptom supporting with like natural medicine, but it's not going to have the same side effect profile of something like birth control. Mm -hmm. So that's a typical situation that I would do for acne, kind of same thing for painful periods. It just depends on the underlying imbalance, irregular cycles. You know, do you have PCOS? Why do you have PCOS? What's going on with your blood sugar? What's happening with your lifestyle, your routine? And 
you know, these things do take a little bit more time. And that's why I recognize in the conventional model, we just don't have the time. And it's unfortunately a broken system. It's not a mystery as to why we are where we are, but Mm. I think things need to shift and change. Mm Yeah. And I think we've been conditioned to want the instant fix, right? Like, oh, this is going to be a process. This is going to take time. (laughs) I have to work with you and get multiple like, uh, hmm, maybe I'll just take the pill. I mean, we've we've been conditioned in this microwave instant culture. We don't even sometimes want to take the time. But it sounds like in the long run, we're going to be so much better off taking the time Mm -hmm. to get to the root because, you know, a couple years down the road, our health is going to be so much better than it would be if we just took that instant fix that fixed that one symptom. But now we have all of these other underlying issues that are going to build up. You know, sometimes you can do both. You know, let's say it's a teenage girl who has such severe acne that she's, you know, depressed beyond Mm. measure, you know, she doesn't want to go to prom, like none of this stuff, you know, put her on the pill or put her on spironolactone, the medication that lowers testosterone, but at the same time work on the underlying factors Mm. so that maybe in a year or two, she can get off the pill and the, the pieces that were imbalanced are fixed now. So she's coming out into a environment that won't have such a big issue. Same thing with painful periods or any of these imbalances. And my biggest thing is women should just be given the choice. You know, like when I was 18, I wish I had had a choice. I wish someone had sat me down and said, these are your options. You could do, you know, natural family planning, fertility awareness method, track your cycle. I was so responsible. I would have totally done it. I would have been so good at it. You know, is this this for real or is this sarcasm? No, I would have been. Okay. Okay. (laughs) No, I I would have, but I didn't, I didn't even have the choice. I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, give women the choice, like here's route a, this is the consequences or this, you know, the benefits and consequences. Mm -hmm. Here's route B, the birth control benefits and consequences, and just let women have a choice. A lot of women feel that they had no other choice. They tell me that all the time. I just Mm didn't think I had any other choice. And that's so sad because they do. Wow. What are some of the common side effects that you're seeing women have? Because I know people listening right now are going to be tuning in like, okay, do I have any of these side effects? What are some of the common side effects that you see women have who've been on the pill from, you know, maybe two, three plus years? Yeah. I mean, side effects from birth control can happen as soon as you start it and can Mm -hmm. last many years after you stop it. So the, the spectrum is great. And for some women, you know, being on one type of birth control can cause certain things and it can be different when they switch or they can all go back to normal when they stop it. So the, the range of types of things that women mostly experience, I would say probably one of the number one is mood issues. So that could be anxiety, depression, feeling really flat. Like a lot of people report that they just have like no high highs and no low lows. They just feel kind of numb to life. Um, The, like I said, anxiety and depression is big. A lot of women will have changes in their skin. So some women experience acne on the pill. Some women improve acne on the pill. Um, Gut issues. People will have constipation, bloating, um, you know, loose stool issues like that. The pill has been shown to cause what's called leaky gut, where basically your gut lining breaks down and then different foods and issues like with things that you're exposed to, whether it's good or bad bacteria, yeast, those kind of things can all get into the bloodstream, which can cause us all a host of symptoms, energy issues, brain fog. Um, for some women, they just feel really crazy, like, or they just don't mm. feel like themselves. A lot of people will just tell me, like, I started the depot shot or, you know, I, I've been on this birth control and I just, I don't feel like myself. But again, a lot of women it, traditionally in our medical system too, are just kind of told, 
it's in your head, nothing's mm. wrong, you know, you're being overly dramatic, you know, it, it, it's so sad. Um, low libido is a really big one. So low sex drive, women not feeling like they have a sex drive. Um, and then you can have actual, you know, big, like, I mean, there's big things that can come from birth control, you know, cancers and liver diseases and autoimmune diseases and things like that. But from the most part, how, any- how soon, Oh, Sorry. How soon, just because I want to ask this before we move past it, those long-term effects, those kind of very severe, big deal kind of things like cancer, how long would it take for someone to actually get cancer being on the pill? Yeah. I know that's not going to happen to everyone. but Totally. Yeah. So the way when we look at imbalances, everyone kind of has a weak link in their ladder, right? So based mm-hmm. on your genetics, your family history, your predispositions and exposures, Everyone kind of has that weak thing that if some imbalance came into their system is what is going to kind of pull. So it doesn't mean that every person who's ever been on birth control is going to get breast cancer. And for some, right, birth control right. has been shown to help with some cancers, which is really weird and ironic. So with the thing with cancers and what we're looking at in the studies is they've just looked at correlations of people who've been on birth control. Obviously, the longer that you're on it, potentially the worse. But let's say you have a a family predisposition to cancer and you were only on the pill for a few years, like it potentially would have pushed that weak link on you a little bit more. Whereas someone could be in on birth control for 15 years. If cancer is not in their weak link genetic pool, they might not ever get cancer. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say mm-hmm. like everyone who's been on birth control for yeah. five years is going to have cancer. You just can't say that. But basically right. understanding this is why it's important for you to do like a whole holistic understanding of you, your family history, your genetic picture of, is there autoimmune in my family? Is there cancer in my family? Are there infertility pictures in my family? And, and if that's the case, potentially paying attention to what the pill could be doing to you, because it's probably going to exemplify that, that weak link Mm. in your genetic history. It's really hard to say every person on this will have this issue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There yeah, are frustrating exactly. answers. The yeah, it's frustrating answer when you do individualized medicine because it just depends. <laughs> For <laughs> but yeah, sure. The, well, and it makes so much sense. Yeah. And the longer, again, but you know, I have my own thoughts and theories behind that too of like how much is the pill covering up these symptoms that mm-hmm. if you had addressed, maybe you would have prevented cancer or you would have prevented liver disease or these things that. Um, you know, is it the pill that's causing it or is it the pill is covering up the symptoms that would have alerted us to pay attention, you know, and, and prevent yeah. these things that maybe would have happened regardless with or without the pill. But what the pill did was cover up our ability to, to make any shifts or changes mm. in that. Just kind of masks everything. So you don't even really yeah. know how, like what your real issues are because they're masked. Yeah. You don't know uh, what your real issues are and then you have symptoms and you don't know if that's your body or if that's the yeah. pill. And so it's really confusing. And that's why even women who I understand like the contraceptive thing is really stressful. There doesn't seem to be a perfect solution for birth control. And that's because there isn't, you know, there's definitely higher risk and lower risk options. And it really depends on you and and who you are and and what's going on in your life. But even if you say wanted to go back on hormonal birth control in the future, if you're like in between partners or something, I, I do recommend taking a break and just getting your body back in balance and seeing how do I feel with just being myself? You know, what's actually going on with just me? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. how can I be as optimal as possible? And then maybe if you start hormonal birth control again, for whatever reason, you're maybe doing it in a more balanced way and you can support yourself better. Yeah. So with a pill, 
you're not ovulating. You're having a period, but it's a fake period. Is that what I understand? Like it's not a real period? What's happening? Correct. Correct. So basically when you take the pill, you are given a pack of pills. And if you're consistent, you just take a pill every day, right? But what a lot of women don't realize is that you only have hormones in about three weeks worth of that pack. And the other week is just placebo pills. They're just sugar pills. And do do people know this? Because I've never been on the pill, so I don't know what people are told. Do they know they're placebo pills? I don't know if women really know it or not. I think some do and and some maybe don't really understand. You know, if if you weren't given an education around your cycle and your hormones when you were also given the birth control prescription, Mm. you're just like, oh, I take this every day. I don't really know. And a lot of my patients who come to me do believe they're like, Oh, the birth control pill regulated my periods. And I'm like, I mean, no, it didn't. You were just taking a medication. And when you bleed, what happens is because you're not on the hormones anymore, it's placebo. You have a medical withdrawal bleed. So basically when you've removed those synthetic hormones from your system, the shedding, the lining of your, of your uterus sheds. So you are bleeding. It does look like a period but all it was was that you medically withdrew those medications and then your wow. body dumped, you know, some uterine tissue. But you didn't have a true period in the sense that your hormones ovulated. You created the, you know, endometrial lining with your own body's hormonal picture and then you shed it naturally. It's just you're taking meds and then you stop the meds and bleed. And so it's not a true period, even though you are bleeding. Mm. And let's say you got on a birth control that didn't have placebo pills. Some just have medication in them every single day, and then women just don't ever bleed. Like ever? Ever, yeah, which is not something I really recommend, (laughs) but that is there are brands out there that do that, yeah, where they just won't ever bleed ever. Because the whole point of a woman bleeding is that in preparation for ovulation, you're building up an endometrial lining like Mm -hmm. that's super thick in preparation for embryo to implant. And if you aren't... um, building that up, there's really not a need to shed it, you know, but I personally think it's nice to have the body kind of still go through that cyclical rhythm. If you're going to choose hormonal birth control, I think, you know, there, there are benefits to it in my mind, but a lot of conventional doctors will tell you there's no difference because, Mm. you know, just Uh. don't ever bleed. (laughs) That is so interesting. And I, I've heard women, friends say that exact statement, which you said, oh, birth control, the pill has really helped to regulate my cycles. You know, they're normal mm-hmm. now, but that is a myth. What yes, you're saying, yes. like, that's not even true. So what other myths are we believing about the pill without realizing it? Are there others? Yeah. I mean, I think the classic one, like you mentioned, is that the birth control pill solves or fixes my cycle, Mm -hmm. regulates my period. You know, you're just taking a medication and stopping. Um, I would say the other one is that it, it solves these other hormonal issues. You know, again, even conventional doctors very much believe that, that it, it solves acne, it solves painful periods, it solves these things. And it's like, what's your definition of solving? I guess if the symptom goes away, did we solve it? Maybe, but you didn't really solve it. You must be on that medication forever. And as soon as you stop it, the thing comes back. So did you really solve it? Or are you just kind of suppressing it? Um, Other beliefs are that, you know, you can't ever get pregnant (laughs) on the hormonal birth Mm. control. So basically it depends on how consistent you are. You know, things like antibiotics can interfere with the birth control pill. If you're not super consistent, like, I mean, I remember even when I was taking the birth control pill, no one really explained that to me. And I would kind of take it like, you know, different times, different days. And like, I wasn't very good about it because I didn't Mm. know how important that was. And so 
I know many women who've gotten pregnant even still on birth control because, you know, the difference between like fertility awareness method and other, you know, awareness practices of of stopping birth control is you have real-time data on your body every month. Whereas when you're on hormonal birth control, you kind of go on autopilot. You're not really paying attention to what would be going on in your body. You're just trusting that this pill's got it covered. And when they don't, then you're in a pickle, right? Because you Mm -hmm. just assume that you can't ever get pregnant, but that's not true. Um, What are some other symptoms or what other myths? Gosh, there's so many. Yeah. I I mean, if they come to mind, (laughs) I'm sure others jump in because that is, that's just so interesting. It, I hope just in, in hearing that all of our listeners will just even question like, wow, all of this time I've completely believed that my cycle has been regulated, that it's normal and functioning when in fact it's not. Like there's, mm-hmm. uh, which is why you have your course because there's so much to learn. It becomes so <laughs> evident. So, okay. Can you just take a minute to help us understand how you've already, you've already talked about this, but I want to dig, dig a little deeper. Like our monthly cycles from even zooming back in time, like from the first day a woman starts her period until mm-hmm. she hits menopause, we have these monthly cycles. Just give us another flyover, bird's eye view. What's happening? Why is this so important that this, these monthly cycles are balanced and healthy? Yeah, absolutely. So you're 100% right. So as women, we are given the gift of being able to reproduce. Whether you ever want to take that gift and use it is your choice. You don't have to ever become a mother, a biological mother in that sense, but you are designed to reproduce. And with that, the opportunity comes every month (laughs) from the moment you get your first period until you go through menopause, which for some women is from age 12 to 45, you know, is kind of like the larger span of that spectrum. It's a lot of months, a lot of years. Yes. And what happens is it's interesting because day one, when we say if, if a doctor ever asks you, what was the last day of your menstrual period? So day one of your period or day one of your cycle is the first day that you actually bleed which in my mind, and when I teach this in my cycle mastery class, which is separate from my breaking with birth control, it's confusing because in my mind, that's the end. But really we count it as the beginning because it's the only obvious symptom that we have to say, oh, very clearly I've started bleeding. So what that is, is that your hormones have all dropped. You have very low hormones in your body. And with that drop in hormones, your body triggers a bleed. Okay. So you're bleeding on your period and everything's really low. And and from a kind of energetic or more esoteric understanding, this is a really beautiful time that women have to rest. So women are supposed to rest around their period. We are not supposed to go and be the same every day of our cycle. Mm. A male hormonal cycle is 24 hours and our world and our productivity standards are all based on that male masculine 24 hour cycle where we can do the same thing Mm. every day and repeat it all month. Women have a month long hormonal cycle where we have different phases of our, of our month based on the types of hormones that we have in our body that help us tap into different parts of our superpowers. And we are meant to rest during our period. So this is not a time to do crazy exercise or, you know, stay up late, work, burn the candle at both ends. You're meant to rest. And traditionally women did. Mm-hmm. <gasps> That's just really quick. I feel like I've heard people say, oh, maybe exercising really vigorously on your cycle will help with like period cramps and things like that. Cause I've also suffered from pretty intense cramps. So mm-hmm. that's not true though. Intense exercise not, isn't the best thing. 
I would not do that during your menstrual cycle because your body's hormones are not designed to help support that rigorous exercise and that really intense way of being. I would say there are better approaches to support painful periods than that. So the menstrual cycle, the part of bleeding is for resting. Your hormones are very low. Then what happens is your brain releases a hormone called FSH and it goes and tells your ovaries to mature some follicles. And every month, For most women, it's about 10 to 20 follicles go through this maturation process. And they basically become from baby follicles to more more older, mature follicles. And then only one of them gets to win. And one of those, you know, 10 to 20 become dominant and start to take all of the like hormones and get bigger and bigger. And that follicle becomes the egg that is kind of awaiting ovulation. Okay. So FSH is going to your ovaries to tell your follicles to mature. And these little follicles, these little baby pieces in your ovaries are making a hormone called estrogen. And estrogen is great for exercise and socializing and dancing Mm -hmm. and being flirtatious. And so after you're bleeding, this is the best time to go do, you know, crazy exercise, go plan parties, do crazy things with work because your hormones are designed to help you. You're also having an upsurge in testosterone. Testosterone makes you confident. It makes you want to, you know, go on dates and, you know, have sex, all of these things. So then eventually that estrogen gets so high that it triggers another hormone in your brain called LH that basically says, okay, egg, it's time. And it kicks out that egg out of your ovary. And then your egg kind of like floats around in space waiting for sperm to meet it. And (laughs) if sperm meets the egg within about 24 hours of that kickoff, then an embryo starts to develop and that becomes a baby. If it doesn't, basically what happens is once that egg is kicked out, the part around the egg is called the corpus luteum and it makes another hormone called progesterone. And progesterone is what helps women have, you know, helps with their anxiety. It helps with their sleep. It's the calming hormone. So this part of your cycle after you ovulate is a great time to like organize your closet and maybe (laughs) journal and like reflect and, you know, maybe not the time to have like a raging party because you're more inward. It's because your body is saying, are we going to have a baby or not? It's like waiting around to be like, are you pregnant? I don't know. Maybe like, don't go do crazy things. And then that corpus luteum is secreting the progesterone. If a egg and sperm met, then it would create an embryo, which secretes a hormone called HCG. That's the hormone that women check when they check if they're pregnant. Mm. So if you go get, you know, a urine test to see, am I pregnant? It's checking HCG. If HCG is present, that embryo is going to attach to the uterus and start growing into a baby. If HCG is not present, the corpus luteum degrades. And eventually it's so degraded that progesterone is so low that it triggers you to bleed and then you have a period again. So that whole cyclical thing is basically how the cycle works. But the thing is all the different upsurges and changes and and secretions of all of these different hormones are what make us us. They're what make us feel like ourselves. They're what give us energy and vitality. They're what make us want to exercise or have sex or, you know, be creative or, you know, all of the different pieces that we are as women. And so when we don't ovulate, we get, we kind of miss out on a lot of that. And, um, you know, there's different things. Some people will say the birth control pill is helpful for cancer because they find that women who don't have some of these surges maybe aren't exposed to such high levels of things like Mm. estrogen. Um, but again, it's like, are we meant to just like be medicated to not have this? I think there's other root causes to cancers that we should be looking at instead of just medicating a woman to try to prevent Mm. her risk. Um, 
traditionally women were meant to be pregnant more than they are, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's there's pros and cons, right? There's different parts and pieces, but um, I'm a big believer that our hormonal cycles are really powerful and very important for us as women and that they have their own health benefits, especially progesterone, this mm. hormone that's made after we ovulate. A lot of women who have PMS, PMDD, they have breast tenderness or soreness, fibrocystic breasts, which means like lumps in their breasts, sleep issues, mood issues. A lot of it's because they have low progesterone or if they're on the pill, they're not making any. And this actually becomes very important for fertility because if you don't have enough progesterone, then you miscarry. And that's really sad. Yes, I have heard that. Done a lot of research into that, <laughs> trying to figure out for me yeah, what the hormonal issues are. And I have discovered that I had higher estrogen, mm-hmm. lower amounts of progesterone on the second yeah. half of my cycle. And so working from the root, though, trying to to resolve and fix and balance my hormones. And it has been a process. I mean, I've been on a health journey for a long time, but I feel so much better, like yes. so much better. And just what you described it's, it's kind of mind blowing <laughs> as you're talking through the cycle, like the details, the intricacy, like from one thing to the next and how it all just flows together every month. It's like this incredible thing happening inside of our bodies that most of us are completely <laughs> unaware of. <laughs> I know it is amazing. It's like a beautiful orchestra that is just so amazing and yeah. so awesome. And a lot of opportunities for issues to go wrong, which is why women yeah, have yeah. issues, but that's where you have to understand. And so for you with low progesterone, you know, the health of those follicles that I talk about are what become the health of the corpus luteum, which is what secretes progesterone. So we have to work backwards. A woman's health three to four months before she starts to conceive Mm. is what dictates how, how healthy that progesterone level is. And so your health will impact the production of your hormones like progesterone. And so that's why it's so important to focus on your health before you become Mm. pregnant. Otherwise you might end up in a miscarriage or have issues like that. And why, when I'm when I help women get off birth control, if it's because they want to start preparing for a baby, Mm -hmm. why I think that they should take, you know, time to really optimize their health as much as possible before that. Cause if you go just stop the pill cold Turkey and try to get pregnant, there's a lot of imbalances there that don't, you know, help you or your baby. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So if a woman is listening and she's like, yeah, oh my goodness, there's so much, I don't know. I want to get off the pill. Should she go cold Turkey? Should she take it slow? I mean, what do you recommend? So this is kind of what I teach in my program in the sense that I'm not a huge fan of going cold Turkey without any sort of prior prep. So I'm a big fan of if you're currently on the pill or birth control to optimize the things that you can as much as possible. It takes time to shift your lifestyle and stopping the pill cold mm-hmm. turkey. Now you're stressed out about potentially getting pregnant and you're trying to change your diet and you're trying to, it's a lot. Yeah. And you might have weird things coming up since you stopped the pill. And so I recommend getting as much as you can under your belt as possible before you pull the pill. So what I do with my patients and what I teach in my program is, you know, work on optimizing your diet, eating whole foods, you know, organic as much as possible, nutrient dense foods, get the toxins out of your life, you know, change up your personal care products, you know, remove your exposure to plastics and phthalates, all of that you know, work on imbalanced systems like your gut health and liver and work on detoxing, replenish your nutrients, get on a really good comprehensive Mm. prenatal or multivitamin, make sure everything is in place, work on your stress. You know, if, if you work at a, if you have a nine out of 10 stress working at a crazy job and like you can't get it together and you think stopping the pill and trying to make all these lifestyle changes is going to like end well, it's Mm. not. And then let's say you accidentally get pregnant in the mix of all of that, you know, your baby is not going to, have the best start 
of its life because you're not in a good place. So I'm a big fan of using birth control as a safety net while you get all these things under control. Then stop the pill so that any of the imbalances are much more minor and you're already in a good place that if you did get pregnant at that point, you're good. You've got all the folate your baby needs to make its spinal cord. You know, your stress is under control. You know how to eat well and you're not freaking out being like, what am I doing? So mm-hmm. that's my personal approach. Um, if you've already stopped the birth control, just do all of these things as soon as you know, as soon yeah. as you can. <laughs> okay. So zooming out again on the cycle. So we have from when you start your cycle, you're young. And then what happens when you hit menopause? So Yep. What what's happening? And now you don't have cycles anymore, right? Yeah. So basically when a, I say your ovaries start to retire, you know, this is like the retiring age of some women. So basically what happens is we are born with the amount of eggs that we're going to have in our life. There's some debate in that. Some people think that there can be some egg regeneration, but when you were a baby Mm -hmm. in your mother's womb, you, your eggs were developed at that time your follicles, your little baby follicles. So, you know, I mentioned all of them over all of them. So when you are a baby in utero as a female, all of your eggs are developed in that gestation time while you are, while you are in your mother's womb, your, the premature baby versions of your eggs are all developed at that time. You are born and a bunch of them die (laughs) and some survive. And then every month, you know, 10 to 20 go through this maturation process. And the ones that don't win, the ones that don't become the egg just die, you know, they just get resorbed. So over time, over like two to three, four decades, the egg mount goes down, right? So you have the egg amount Mm -hmm. going down. And there's other factors as well. That's not just low eggs, but basically, your ovaries start to go into retirement, they don't, they're not responding as much anymore, either from low egg count or you know, they're just not wanting to participate and pay attention. So that brain hormone FSH is going to your ovaries saying, come on, girls, let's go. And either there's no girls to talk to, or they're like, no, we're good. We don't want to anymore. And so that that FSH hormone Mm. actually goes up and up because it's knocking louder and louder. It's like on the door, like, wake up, wake up, we need to keep ovulating. And they're like, no, we're done. We want to be on a beach somewhere. Like, we're not going to do this anymore. (laughs) And so if a woman's curious, if she's going through menopause or perimenopause, especially if you're trying to conceive, run that hormone FSH. If it's high, it means that your ovaries are starting to retire. So once your ovaries start to retire, you either don't have eggs or they're not responding anymore, then you don't have that upsurge in estrogen and it doesn't trigger ovulation and or you have no eggs to ovulate anyways. And so it's at this time, perimenopause is like in between, like you kind of are still cycling, but you're not fully retired, that your hormones can just go crazy. And so some women just feel absolutely horrible. But again, the foundations to support that are the same as the ones for optimizing your hormones in the first place, you know, getting your stress under control, making sure you have a lot of good nutrients on board to keep everything steady. Um, and so that's what happens in perimenopause. And once menopause happens, wow. it means that you haven't bled, you haven't had a period for over a year and your ovaries are officially retired and you can't conceive anymore, at least naturally. Wow. And then your periods never comes back from that point on. Correct. So again, After perimenopause okay. is a time where it's like very volatile and some women can go through perimenopause for years, meaning like they might go six months without a period and then one shows up somewhere randomly and then it's like eight months and then another one shows up as long, like once you've gone through 12 consecutive months of no period, that's technically menopause. Theoretically, a woman 
could go back into cycling if she still has eggs and something comes back on board or like with IVF, sometimes women can artificially, you know, bring a, a, they can still carry a baby if they're given synthetic hormones, but from a natural perspective, yeah, your periods just won't come back. And for a lot of women, they're not making those hormones. And this is where like bioidentical hormone replacement can be helpful for Mm. some women. Um, I usually start with lifestyle and herbs first, support the adrenals. That's the number one tip for anyone listening. Um, your adrenal health, your stress response is the biggest reason why your hormones go psycho in your perimenopausal time, but doing that and then, um, yeah, just supporting yourself through that. But then that's the end of the reproductive window for a woman. Wow. Kind of sad. (laughs) I know. (laughs) like, wow, everything shuts down. Makes me want to appreciate what's happening now even more. Like it, it's just for like a part of your life. It's not even your whole life as women that mm-hmm. we have this very unique opportunity. So uh, I have learned so much through this conversation. This has been amazing. You are a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> I know we need to wrap this up though. So just in closing for someone listening and they're like, I definitely don't want to be on the pill anymore, but what are some alternatives for birth control, contraception that are healthy for my body? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the biggest fan of kind of tracking your cycle and understanding what's going on. You can pair that with either barrier methods or um, there's new birth controls like Fexi, which is a pH vaginal gel. So I really love the fertility awareness method. There's also the marquee model, which is another form of natural family planning, which actually looks at the hormone metabolites. I'm a blend of blending the two. So fertility awareness tracks your cervical mucus changes, your cervix height, your temperature change after you ovulate. So you're checking real life Mm. or real time symptoms of your body. And then the marquee model, if you add that on top of it, is looking at your hormone metabolites. So whether that's using, you know, Clear Blue as a brand or Mira Fertility Tracker is one of my favorites to actually check the hormones to see, did you have an LH surge? What's going on with your progesterone? And it's very accurate because you're checking real life data. Um, there's yeah. even, you know, digital wearing devices like watches and stuff that will check your, your temperature post. So if anyone's curious, I have a master your cycle class. It's super affordable and I teach all of this in there, but, um, that's my favorite approach. If for some reason you really don't think you want to do that or can't do that, you know, there's always barrier methods like condoms. Like I said, Fexi is a new birth control that lowers the pH of the vagina and affects the sperm. Or if you're like, I absolutely cannot get pregnant, but I don't want hormones, things like the copper IUD are an option. For some women, they, you know, cause more pain and bleeding. For other women, they feel great on them. Hmm. Um, You know, there's other things like the diaphragm, the cervical cap, like things like that, but they all come with their pros and cons. I I do talk about all of that in my program, but um, there, it just depends. And sometimes being on hormonal birth control is the best option, but just supporting your body with that, you know, making sure you don't deplete your nutrients and you support your body in in all of those ways. So yeah, it's more of an individualized conversation that has to happen Mm -hmm. based on where you are in your life. Yeah. So if somebody wants to have that conversation with you, where do they go? How do they find you? Yeah. So, um, I am not actually taking new patients at this exact moment as I start to prepare for my own baby number two, but, um, find me at Instagram at Dr. Leah Gordon, TikTok at Dr. Leah Gordon, womanhoodwellness.com. And then I will be opening up my breaking up with birth control course probably next year sometime. So go get on my waiting list for that. And yeah, I'm very excited to support you on your journey. Awesome. Dr. Gordon, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Of course. Thank you. Wow, 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 wow. Was that not so mind-blowing and so incredible? 
I hope you feel so equipped, so inspired. I hope your eyes were opened in so many new ways after listening to all of that incredible truth that Dr. Gordon brought. Oh my goodness, you guys, please share this episode with everyone that you know who needs to listen to this. And then share episode one, part one. Again, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one so that you can build on what we talked about today. You can get that biblical foundation, that biblical understanding of God's design for family, for babies, for children, um, all of that good stuff. You do not want to miss it. Please listen to part one with Candace Waters um, and then share both of these episodes, part one and part two, because I think that as Christian women, modern women living today, we need to have this conversation. This has been a conversation that has been missing and we need to share it. We need to talk about it. We need to get the ball rolling in our churches and our communities and our friend groups, because this is something that God cares deeply about, this topic of having babies, family, of birth control, how to, how to stay surrendered how to plan, like all of that stuff, we need to be having this conversation. So please, please, please share. Um, And again, if you haven't read Girl Defined, our book, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity, that is like next step. If you listen to part one and part two of this and you have not read that book, you need to because your mind will be just as blown as you discover the amazing beauty, um, the timelessness of God's design for womanhood. And you might also be surprised by many of the lies that you have bought into regarding womanhood. Um, without even realizing it. So grab a copy of Girl Defined. Again, leave us a five-star review if you appreciate this sort of content. Um, Help us spread the word. It really, really encourages us personally when we see those reviews on Spotify, on Apple. Um, Leave us a comment. And if you want to ask us more questions, you can shoot us an email as well. You can find that info on our website at girldefined.com. But you guys, thank you so much for joining me for part one and part two. I hope it blessed you as much as it did me.